So I was thrilled to see it get a review from a lady who was born in Nimbin and she was the oldest of eight siblings. And she said, I am Joey. He is my life. And I thought, but that's what research can do for you. If you don't know, you can acquire hopefully enough knowledge to give a theme or a storyline some sort of inner truth that people can mm. recognize. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. Today we have something a little different on Rights for Women. A while back I did a panel with three emerging authors and I had great feedback from listeners on that episode. So I thought it was about time I set up another panel, and when three fantastic new rural romance books came in, I had my answer as to what that panel was going to be. So on today's panel, it's all about rural romance and the authors who write it. My first four books were written in this genre. They were really rural fiction with romantic elements rather than straight romance. So I was really curious to see where the genre is now and chat to a few of the authors who are currently big names in that genre. Maya Linnell needs no introduction to regular listeners of Rights for Women. She's been both a guest and a host on the podcast. Her best-selling fiction gathers inspiration from her rural upbringing and the small communities she has always lived in and loved. Maya has four published novels, Bottlebrush Creek, Wildflower Ridge, Magpie's Bend, and her most recent release, Paperbark Hill. A former country journalist and radio host, Maya also blogs for Romance Writers of Australia, loves faking up a storm, tending to her rambling garden and raising three little bookworms. She's a wizard on socials and something that I'm definitely going to be asking Maya and the other girls about as we speak. Leonie Kelsall is also a previous guest on Rights for Women. Leonie is the author of three rural romances, The Wattle Seed Inn, The Farm at Peppertree Crossing, and River Gum Cottage, her most recent release. She also writes women's fiction slash romantic suspense under the pseudonym Lainey Kay, which is a bit steamier than her rurals, something else that I'm going to be asking the panel about. Leonie splits her time between her home and her professional counselling practice in the beautiful Adelaide Hills and the farm where she grew up. And Leonie also has fantastic images of the farm and all the little lambs bouncing around and, and bouncing around not only outside but in the house, which you can find on Instagram. Stella Quinn is my third guest on today's panel. She's a little newer to the writing scene. Her rural romance novels are warm-hearted and filled with characters you want to be best friends with. She loves rural small-town settings, island settings and everyday heroes and describes her books as the babies of sea change and Virgin River. Fabulous. She has two rural romances published by Harlequin, The Vet from Snowy River, and her very recent release, A Town Like Clarence. 
So I'm really excited to talk to these three lovely writers about the genre that I started off in myself and that I still have a very big soft spot for and that I'm actually writing another book in at the moment. So Stella, Maya and Leonie, welcome to the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Thank you. Hello. Lovely to be here. Great to see you all. And I've done an intro so the listeners, if they're not already acquainted with you, will know a little bit about you. But I want to start with how you actually came to be a rural romance author. So I'm not sure between Maya and Leonie, who actually, out of the three of you, had the book out first. Maya, I'm guessing it may have been you. Yeah, I think it was me. But then Leonie has got a huge backlist of fabulous novels as well. I think she can in that department. Okay, yeah, that's very true, actually. So you were writing in a different genre, Leonie. Can you tell us about how you came to be a rural romance author? Yeah, I write in several different genres and they're published mostly in the US. And I'm actually a rural romance writer by accident because I didn't know it was a genre. And probably not even supposed to admit that. But I thought I was writing women's fiction and it was going to my agent in New York. And the problem is New York publishers or US publishers don't want anything based in Australia. They want everything US-based. So they'd be, love the story, love the characters, change the country. Didn't want to. So I'd written another, another, another book, which I firmly believed was women's fiction. And I thought before I send it to my agent and it gets tied up in America, I'll just have a go at pitching it in Australia. So I threw it in the Friday pitch at Alan and I'm one week, you just send in a sample and it goes on the slush pile. And I was just incredibly lucky that it was picked up from there. But one of the couple of questions that Annette Barlow asked me prior to signing was, how committed are you to writing rural romance? And it was just really lucky that she did it in an email. Because I, I had to go off and call Sandy Docker and go, what's for a romance? <laughs> and she said, it's what you love writing. You're absolutely passionate about it and totally committed. So that's how I ended up here. Yeah, that's really interesting. And we're going to come back to this whole thing about genres in a little while. So thank you for that. Maya, how about you? How did you get to be a rural romance author? Yeah, so Pam, my background in rural journalism was a really nice segue into writing rural romance. Because I found that uh, when I decided that I'd try and write a book, well, for me, it was easiest to write what you know. And my dad had given me that piece of advice when I was a teenager, when I was trying to write articles to pitch to magazines. He said, Maya, you're really good at writing what you So Talk about something that's relevant to you, something that makes sense, that you can see, breathe, touch, taste. So I went with that and it's held me in great stead, that advice. So I've stuck with that and I'm branching out with different bits. I've got characters that have occupations that I'm not familiar with. I've got people in situations that I haven't personally dealt with, but I've got that really nice cushion of immersing my characters in a world that's very familiar to the one that I live in. Small country towns, warm families, lots of animals and lots of cooking and baking and gardening. So for me, it was just that put something down on paper. What did it turn out to be? It turned out to be a rural romance. But a little bit like Leonie, I wasn't 100% sure that it was rural romance because my stories only have a quite a small romantic thread. And when I joined Romance Writers Australia, they said, as long as it has got that romantic thread through it, that's a perfect fit for rural romance. And I do love reading. I, for many years, read Fleur MacDonald, Carly Lane, Rachel Treasure, Rachel Johns. So it was a really lovely place for me to 
park myself in. Fantastic. Stella, how about you? How did you come to be a rural romance author? Yeah, it found me rather than the other way around. So I took to writing seriously when my kids were starting to move through high school and get a bit less labour intensive. And uh, I went back to uni and did a course in in writing. And I have I'm a I read widely across pretty much every genre except nonfiction, and I'm pretty much to try writing in every genre too. So when I was first trying to see if I had any writing skills, I entered a lot of competitions in all sorts of fields, historical, poetry, flash fiction, all sorts. Of. And it was through a competition that Rural Romance found me. I was at a RWA conference in Melbourne and in the little goodie bag you get with, that has bookmarks and a few books that publishers have contributed, there was a flyer for a competition run by Australian Society of Authors and HQ Fiction, which is a HarperCollins imprint. And it wanted an Australian set story with commercial appeal that was at least 70,000 words. Because at this stage, I'd been trying to fling writing in any direction and hope some of it stuck somewhere. I had a manuscript that was set in America, but America is where there's a lot of readers in America. So if you don't know if a traditional publisher is going to pick you up, the American market is quite alluring. So I had one set in a sort of a snowy, mountainous region in Northern America. And I spent a couple of weeks thinking, what if I set in Australia, which would be a much easier task than for me trying to set a book in a country overseas to which I have no affinity. So I made up the town of Rahan because I love bush poetry. And it's from the part will all be ruined, set in Rahan by P.J. O'Brien. And I sent it into this competition, which it didn't win, but it finaled. And Rachel Donovan, the publisher, rang me and said, we think... Uh, we'd like to publish this, but it'd have to be 30,000 words longer and it'd have to start nailing all the rural romance genre attributes. Do you think you can do that? And my answer, like Leone's advice from her friend Sandy Docker, was absolutely. I can do anything you ask me to. And so I had eight weeks to add 30,000 words. And I, so I had to pick one of the subplot line and bring it to the foreground. And Rachel gave me some great advice, which I am sticking with. She said, treat the community like it's, treat the town like it's the third major character in the book and give it its own little sort of goal, motivation, conflict, little arc. And then that'll, that really helps bring it home. And as soon as she said that, I thought, well, you know what? I grew up in a small town. I know exactly what community is like in a small town. And that was how I was able to swim my way into a genre that I hadn't had a lot of familiarity with prior to that. That's really interesting, Stella. And so you don't, you live in Brisbane, don't you? So you're not on the land or anything at the moment, but you've grown up in a small town. Yes, a very small town that was an agricultural town, but it wasn't even in Australia. It was in Papua New Guinea. And so I went to boarding school in a country Queensland town. So we didn't go home on all the holidays because it was a long journey. So we would go to places like Chinchilla and Dolby and Roma and Milmera and out and stay with all the other girls were from either Weesh or cattle stations mainly and get to go and drive tractors and learn. They could all drive cars from the age of 12, whereas I didn't even know what jeans were. Yeah, it was a great sort of experience of seeing the country to their eyes. Yeah, and have you been able to draw on those six times from you growing up? And, oh, and you write, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wonderful. 
like Chanel bedspreads. I'm always throwing them in because we had them at boarding school and we got fined 20 cents if we were caught sitting on our own bedspread because the matron thought we would pluck the little tuck because we had idle fingers. If ever we heard the matrons coming down the corridor in their nylon pants that made these noises, it would be like, quick, and we'd have to leap up and flick back our bedspreads so we weren't fine because 20 cents would get you a big bag of lols in those days. Back in the day, yeah, I love that. I can relate to a lot of what you are saying, all of you actually, because like you, Leonie, I never set out to write rural romance either and I just read a story that happened to have horses in it. So suddenly, bang, I was a rural romance author. And like you, Maya, I, mine is more romantic elements than straight romance. So it's been an interesting sort of mix of all those different things and then suddenly finding yourself writing this particular genre. But I certainly grew to love writing the genre and I loved a lot of things about it. But I'm interested in each of you, what is it about writing in that genre that you really enjoy? So, Leanne, we might throw back to you. I think I love, it takes me back to my roots because I'm a country girl. I grew up on 800 acres of sheep and wheat farm. So it's it's like writing my own history with all the sexy guys. No, I made made that bit up. (laughs) (laughs) Some of my heroes are based on old boyfriends, but don't tell my partner that. I just like being able to visit the country in that way and bring out the best elements of it. But at the same time, you can go into a lot of the problems that occur specifically in country areas. And because I'm a personal counsellor, I like to go in depth with some of those darker issues. And I was really surprised to find that I could actually do that in rural romance. I was a little horrified and thought, oh, I've got to write boy meets girl stuff and I don't do that um but and I had read the genre either so I didn't realize the breadth that it actually covers I, I thought it would be very it, mills and booze set in the country to be honest is what mm-hmm. I said and I was completely wrong so I love that writing in this genre I can explore basically anything I want to absolutely any topic and Carly Lane actually gave me great advice because I said to her, I'm worried I don't have enough romance in my romances. And she said, just write the story you want and make sure there's some love in it somewhere, but you can write anything at all that you want. Yeah, I think that's the best thing about it. It's not, it's not such a, a, a pigeonhole genre as you'd think. You can go anywhere you want with it. And that's probably the best thing about it. Mm. Yeah, that's really true. It's very broad, isn't it? What do you think, Maya? Yeah, I like the warm and fuzziness of writing rural romance. So absolutely, as Selena was saying, it's not just a Mills and Boone set in a country town, but that community being that central character as well, like you were saying, Stella, it really is. You've got that warm embrace of people that know you for better or worse. You've got people knocking on the door with casseroles when people are sick, pulling together to fix rooms that have blown up houses in a storm, arriving on your doorstep with a lamb that's been orphaned. Things like that, which there's so much inherent goodness and simplicity in some of those things that I know a lot of people are missing. And it's that escape to the country that people in today's modern world often wish they could do. They could just drive on down to the country and stay with a country friend. But if they don't have one of those, a book escape is the next best thing. So I like being able to give the readers that beautiful warmth and the things that resonate with me that I love about country living being able to share that and celebrate that as well and really shine a spotlight on some of the issues that do 
occur in these rural areas and celebrate the women that do put up with so many different things from lamb poo explosions on the kitchen floor to having to go out to help search for missing cattle in the middle of the night or flooded rivers like Stella had in her book. There's so many great storylines and pressure cooker opportunities within a small town that makes it a, a really appealing genre to write in. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Like you say, that the sort of wide breadth of different people and the opportunities that your characters have to go in different directions, it's there, isn't it? It's just, it's not restricting. You think sometimes, oh, rural romance, it has the, these sort of walls around it, that you, you know, the boxes you have to tick, but it is actually really broad in terms of what you can cover, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So many different issues that affect city folk just as easily as that affect country folk from mental mm. health. All sorts of cool things that you can tackle. Yeah. How about you, Stella? What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I like the idea of the community is what most. That's what drew me to writing in the genre. And because I'm coming from an angle of like, I am trying to emphasize the warm and fuzziness, I suppose. The sentimental journey might always have someone who's not from there arriving there. So they get to see anew this place which might be a more peaceful or seem to be on the surface a more peaceful place where there's not only geographical space but also a bit of mental space in which to stop and reflect on whatever it is that has been driving them to change because I do love redemption theme and I love the idea that you can have really messed up in a catastrophic way that might have destroyed relationships in your life but you can move forward through hard work and through the role seeing a working community doing those things like bringing the pet lambs to the door. I think you can really grow as a person through kindness and I love the way a community lets you, having lots of community characters, not just the main characters involved, it's such a scope. And I, my favourite, whenever I think of the small town community character, I keep coming back to Bob Jelly, the mayor on Seachman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was so great. And uh, that's the sort of character I have ticking away in the back of my head because I like having a character who's just a little larger than life and we're gently poking fun at them, but at the same time we adore them. I like, love the term dramedy, a drama with just a bit of a comic undertone that's carrying the quite serious storylines forward. The other thing I love about it, I love just love landscape so much. I was in Queenstown last week, sitting on a little veranda, freezing, looking up at the mountains, and I was trying to think, if I was a character in my book, because I'm writing in the middle of a manuscript book, how would I think about those men? And I thought, my character in I'm writing about, she's from this country town. I'm writing a sequel to the Western Snow River. So it's set in Harahan, which is Kula, Krakenbass, that era. And she is a little agoraphobic. So I'm thinking she would look up at those mountains and she might see a safety barrier. This, these mountains are keeping her safe from the rest of the world. She doesn't want to go and visit because of this bad stuff that happened. Whereas someone from not there might arrive and these mountains have never been in their sky, their eyesight before. Mm. They're new and strange and weird and they're cold and are they dangerous? They, so depending on your personal circumstance, going somewhere new where the landscape is bald or different or mountainous, it gives an opportunity to think through your own life in a, in a new way, I think. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, of course, landscape is such an important part, isn't it, of all of our novels, I think. Australian literature yeah. and the get-go. Yeah, and a terror has always featured very strongly. Yeah, yeah, I want to come back to that, actually, a little bit down the track. But before we do, are there any, do any of you find any challenges with writing the genre, particularly maybe 
I'm thinking, May, you know, you're, you're now four books in. And just in general, are there any f- particular challenges that you find? So I'll throw that one op- open to all of you. Yeah, look, Pam, I think there's a couple of different things. One of them in the technical sense is that four books in, I've got each of my first four books is about a different sister within the same family. So I have to think, okay, in book number one, Wildflower Ridge, we had Penny comes back to the family farm. She's been living away. She's got the job of trying to work out what they're going to do succession planning wise. Okay, so I've got that. I've got succession planning. I've got a farming accident. So I can't have that in the next three books. And then book two, we've got a renovation and a fixer-upper theme. That's my main theme. I've got a mother-in-law who's a bit too meddling, so I can't have that in the next book. And then in Magpie's Bend, I've got a local shop and a fun run and a country So I almost feel like sometimes, not that I'm running out of ideas, but I have to cross-check what I've written with I can't have an antagonizing mother-in-law in the next four or five books because I've already done that. Yeah. And I've got the girl mother passed away when they were in their teen years. So in my new series that I'm writing, I've got to think about, I can't have a passed away mother. They had a happy marriage in, in the first story, the, the parent. Do I have a, a happy marriage or do I have a blended family? So I, in my mind, and Leonie can probably, and you Pam can probably talk on this better because you've got more books under your belt. But I think, oh no, I can't do that because I've done that in that book and I can't have that set up with the problem with the brother because I had a problem with the brother in the other book. So occasionally I think yeah. that and it makes me I know what you mean. Sometimes I think maybe I should set up I'm not on the word spreadsheet is just like woo to me. But sometimes I've thought in the past maybe I should have a spreadsheet where I basically list all my characters, what their problems were. Like and just have it all laid out so I just don't go back and do the same. Because I think you do start I think as authors we're drawn to writing almost the same characters and similar themes and things like that. So you then have to really consciously make the effort to go in a new direction, don't you? How do you find that, Leanne? I bought beautiful cue cards to do exactly what you said, to lay out the characters, their ages, because mine's a small town and all the books are set in the same small town. The first one remarked on how closely related everybody was because that's what I grew up with. And then I realised by book three, hang on, I can't have these people hooking up because they're related two generations back. So I bought these beautiful cue cards in all different colours so I can have one for each book and one for each character, et cetera, et cetera. However, I'm so disorganised that I still have the cue cards sealed in their little cellophane packets, their nice little plastic box buried under a mountain of paperwork on my desk. The thoughts there, I have an issue, same thing with trying not to repeat storylines. My biggest problem is not killing off too many people, I think, because it's always, oh, they can have a dead parent, they can have a dead child, dead this, dead that, and we can't have too much of that. And then Maya was saying, find that, oh, I had an absent dead mother in that story, and that works in perfectly in book four, but I can't do that. It's already been done. So it's really hard, especially when you get to the end of a book and realise, like, Book one of mine, The Farm of Pepper Tree Crossing, is about an inheritance. So obviously there was a death involved. Book three, I was at the end of book three before I realised, hang on, this is basically about an inheritance because there's a death involved. Totally different story, but the same premise was behind it. So it's, yeah, it's so hard not to repeat yourself. Though I must say, writing under a pen name for the US market, I write in a genre that has what's called whale readers, that people who read 
two mm-hmm. to three a day, just volumes. My co-writer, that world, is doing amazingly well for herself. But she admits she literally plagiarizes her own work and puts it in the next book because she has to bring out a book a month to stay current. Wow. So, yeah, here I am being very angsty about repeating any tiny little thing and she's just like, no, I'm cutting and pasting that scene in. But I swear I'll never do that. Yeah, yeah. That's just going to a whole other level, isn't it? Like you say, if the readers are lapping it up and they've got a big market over there, haven't they? Hey, she bought a holiday house on a lake writing this way. I like to live in my book and invest myself totally in the world. And because I'm a very disorganized writer, I'm a real pantser. So I never know what's going to happen in the story. So I get to read along with it. So I'm totally invested in the story and I can't do what she does and just churn out what the readers want all the time for that genre. So she's really into that whole business side of it. Absolutely. Yeah, book yeah. at least every month and she's quite capable of doing one every two weeks. Great. Well, that's, yeah. Wish I had some of that. <laughs> <laughs> Stella, how about you? Do you find any particular challenges with writing in this genre? Yeah, for me, it is veracity because I don't have a background getting up at 5am and feeding lambs or having to worry that if the crop fails, the ute can't get fixed, that sort of pressure on I've not experienced but luckily I do have all my old boarding school mates I can um I can ask questions of I keep I have a friend who lives on a a cattle station in the Gulf of Carpentaria and I keep threatening her with lengthy visit to go and learn they still muster on horseback and when it's flooded they can catch a barramundi from the front paddy that is a bit of a struggle in my the book that just came out of town like Clarence one of my main male character he grew up in an off-the-bridge community the oldest of six siblings, then I do have a lot of siblings and I've also got a lot of children. So I can run a big family dynamic with some authority, but my parents are the opposite of off the grid type. And my dad's an accountant and my mum's a bookkeeper, very organized people who require running water and electricity at all times. So I was thrilled to see it, get a review from a lady who was born in Nimbin and she was the oldest of eight siblings. And she said, I am Joey. He is my life. And I thought, but that's what research can do for you. If you don't, no, you can acquire, hopefully, enough knowledge to give a theme or a storyline some sort of inner truth that people mm. can recognise. Yeah, for sure. That, that is my big you know, challenge. Mm. Yeah, and I think you're writing from a core of authenticity too. You you then have that to build on, don't in terms of where you've yeah. come from. It's come up this issue of whether there has to be a lot of romance in the book or a little. Do you think that there are any sort of particular rules that apply to writing rural romance, like there are, I guess, to general romance? And the romance spectrum is very wide, but there are particular sort of things. There has to be the happily ever after in romance, for instance, and there's a number of other things that readers generally really want in their romance. So do you think that there's any specific things in this particular subgenre, rural romance, that are required? I'm the new kid on the block, so I'll speak with the most authority. Okay. (laughs) Almost no authority at all. I do think the community playing a vital role in the resolution of whatever problems are occurring between the match, the love interest, I think that's a genre mask. Whether or not that's true for all writers or readers, I don't know. But I feel that is is a hallmark of the genre. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that, Stella. 
How about you, Naomi? What would you say? Well, I've actually been thrilled to find how few rules there are in this genre. Writing for the American market, the rules for writing romance in America are incredibly rigid. There is actually a formula, which is, I can't recall it because I always argued against it, but it's along the lines of by 17% of your book, the characters must have met. By 24% of the book, they must have had their first romantic interlude. And they're absolutely strict on these. Your editor will go through and check your word count and then go back and check that the right things happened at the right point. And I'm no good at formulate writing mm. at all. What's going to happen is going to happen wherever it happens. And I was concerned that I'd get pulled up on that. But it seems like there are no boundaries in this other than I'm not allowed to be too dark. I do get told off to be too dark. And you've got to have a happy ending for the main characters. But other than that, it's like no rules. I love it. Open slather. Yeah. 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 How about you, Maya? Would you agree? Yeah, I have to agree with Stella and Leonie because I think that happily ever after or happily for now, you're not going to kill off your main character in the last chapter and have everyone in hysterics because that's not going to really uh, appeal to the readers that have picked it up expecting a lovely warm escape to the country. And they can certainly happily go down detours for those darker, deeper plot lines, but uh, they do want to end with a smile. And I definitely like to finish up that way. And I think also it needs to have some aspect of small town slash farming in there. So not every character needs to be agronomist or a farmer or someone that works in a dairy, but you do have to have some elements of referencing the fact that you are in a rural setting, that the weather's important, mm. that there's big families, there's small families, there's always issues with money and community stuff. So I think you really need to make sure that you've got that setting. And I love also being able to throw in those little authentic things like in Paperbark Hills, they've got the Dahlia Farm. So just the other authors you go and you do a bit of research. You know a bit about it yourself. You wouldn't have written about it if you didn't have an interest in it, but you go and you do your research. And so I gave the manuscript to a friend that has a running, functioning daily farm to let her have a little look at it. And it is really important that you accurately represent and you cannot, absolutely cannot make a caricature of the characters and you don't want to insult anyone's intelligence or make anyone think that people that live in rural areas aren't as quick as someone in the city or whatnot. So I think there's a couple of things that you need to see clear of in that respect, but I think the readers are really generous and really kind and they love it when you take them down different paths with different issues. Yeah. Have you had any feedback on where your readers are in terms of, I guess, city, country, demographics, that sort of thing? Has anyone had access to any of that sort of information? Is it a percentage-wise split from a rough idea or no? Mm. When I went to Sydney in June, my book had been out for a week. And it's my fourth book. Obviously, they were in Target, Kmart and Big W. And as an author, that's where most of the rural romances are sold, the high majority of them. I don't know if it changes with the city, though, because I know being near Adelaide, big city, not Dimmox and Harry Hartog and everybody there carry my titles. QBD, however, apparently doesn't carry rural romance. It's not a genre they will put on their shelves at all. Regardless, the author, it's none of Carly's there, it's none of Rachel's there, which 
Yeah. Boggles my mind why they would pick and choose certain categories. But then having said that, I know of a small bookshop who also is very choosy about what genres they will carry. Yeah. How have you found that issue, Stella? Have your books been fairly accessible? Um, mainly in the department stores. I know we've got a big Dimex in the city, which is which has did carry titles because my daughter works in the city and she went hustling on down there to find it. There's a local little bookstore near where I live and they always order in a heap and get me to go and sign them, which is fun. Uh, there's a Dimex at Northlands, which is on the northern side of Brisbane, almost halfway to the Sunshine Coast. And there's a one of the employees there is really into rural romance. So she will always, not only does she have a big display of them up, but she writes little, little cards recommended by, by whoever and she puts little summaries on them. But it seems to be she must have some say in what they're ordering and how they're displaying them. Leonie, this is something that you alluded to earlier. And I think that someone who's written this genre myself, in some circles, there's a bit of a misconception. And I think it's definitely people who don't read it, but there is this misconception that it's all blue skies and sunshine and happy days and everybody's frolicking around the paddock sort of thing. But we do deal with some quite serious issues. And you made the comment that you've been guided away from going too dark or too deep with some of these issues, perhaps by your publisher. Can we just talk about this idea of the issues and how, you know, getting that balance between the dark and light within the genre? Actually, your question of balance is perfect because it's not that my publisher tells me I can't be too dark. They tell me to lighten up the first chapter because writing other genres, you tend to go in hard with that first chapter. You've got to have the boom chapter suck people in, make them pay attention. And so I tend to write that as a very dark chapter, whereas this genre, they like more of a you back into the town easy. And you can have an issue, definitely, but not as dark as I write it. And my books will deal with things like PTSD, depression, alcoholism, unemployment, domestic abuse, running through them as the main themes. So obviously, if you're going to sell something as a rural romance, you don't want to open with that scene of abuse. Obviously, I do, but the publisher knows better and they don't want to open with that scene. So it is good that you can write these and you can write them in depth. I thought with the edits of my first book that they were telling me that no, everything had to be a surface skim and don't investigate it thoroughly. But no, that's not the case at all. It does come back to this. There are very few rules so long as you write it, it will be acceptable. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? I like that, what you're saying there about being very careful how you open it because, of course, that opening chapter is where you want to hook your reader. So how about you, Mayo? Have you had this issue? I know that you have dealt with some quite very serious issues in your books as well. Yeah. So in Paperback Hill, I've got family estrangement. I've got talking about grief, talking about addiction, but I try and wrap up those darker storylines with a whole heap of country charm as well. So I try mm. and make sure that there's, there's baking scenes, there's the sewing circle that they all go to, and it's a lovely good old bitch and stitch gossip type of session. The I think that that balance of trying to make sure that if you're going to deal with that, then you do have the light as well as plenty of things to make you smile and ponder. And sometimes it's okay for the readers to, or, or I quite hearing that it's moved a reader to tears at a certain point. Mm. Because I feel like at least it's been quite poignant and something has resonated with them in them in that moment when they're reading it, that it has brought them to tears, but also it's made them laugh. And it's made them feel warm and fuzzy. It's made them go and bake something and think about their nana who used to grow sweet peas or dahlias. So 
I think it's just that juggle. Yeah, it's getting that whole fabric, isn't it? It's a great genre in that we get to do all of that within one book. There are not many genres that you can get away with doing that and you can't have the comedic elements straight after a high scene. But in rural romance or rural fiction, it really works well. So it's a lot more fun to write than the more rigid genres, I find. How about you, Stella? Have you had to grapple with that issue as well? Not really. And I think part of when I hear something like, oh, it's all blue skies and sunshine, that just, I ignore it because I think that's just sort of like a bit of a knee-jerk reaction from someone who really never read one. And we all love making broad brush assumption based on a ignorant, like just reading mm. Facebook. Um, you know. We've all got plenty of things to throw around without any substance. But, yeah, I think there's plenty of room for some serious topics because we're dealing, to, well, I'm, we're all trying to write characters who resonate as true individuals on some sort of journey. So, yeah, in a town like Clarence, the, the female main character is struggling with the consequences of being raised by a mother who was addicted to pokies, which I was able to, fortunately, they're fortunate there is a lot of, information available online about the consequences on families of poke addictions because the gambling commission has no doubt has put reports out because it's such a chronic problem in the area and uh, yeah i just think rural romance is such a great way to explore these topics in a family environment yeah that in a way that we mm. all readers can resonate with i did have one just talking about opening hard with the domestic violence scene i've just got the opposite thing going on in my manuscript i started with a it's a the main female character is not at all interested and yet she will be in her brother's best friend it's one of those sort of setups and i begin with a bit of a scene in the stable which is all a bit flustered and and the publisher said to me on her first read through because I don't have an agent so the first person who reads it is the publisher so she knows all my faults like there is not a weakness <laughs> I have she doesn't know that <laughs> and she said not everybody who picks up a book like a town like Clarence consider themselves a romance reader really what they want is an Australian drama and she said you don't want them to think they're the little kid in the bed with grandpa reading them Princess Bride so she said maybe like she said, think about your start. She said, I love your start, but does it need to be the start? Because maybe you need to be easing people into what the what really is, which is a drama set in the country with a lot going on. You don't want it to necessarily be seen to be just one thing and really it's many things. Okay. That's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Which, and actually a nice segue into my next question, which is about writing sex in rural romance. And there is, for anybody that's listening out there, if you're not aware, there is a bit of a, a what's the mantra or, or a bit of guideline, I guess, in writing romance and writing sex scenes as to how far open or closed you have the bedroom door. So obviously if the door's flung wide open, we get the whole scene. If it's fully closed, we just get a little idea that it might be happening behind the closed doors. Okay, so if you want to hear the answer to that question, you'll have to tune in next week for part two of Writing Australian Rural Romance. This chat became quite lengthy and I decided that it would be better as a two-parter. So I hope that you've really enjoyed listening to my chat with Maya, Stella and Leonie because next week we're going to be talking about writing sex scenes in Australian rural romance, writing across different genres, the trajectory that the rural romance genre has taken, popularity of it, 
is it going to last and also writing process social media and a whole lot of other things so i hope you've enjoyed this episode and i hope you'll tune in next week for part two of writing australian rural romance with leone stella and maya thanks for listening to rights for women i hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>